just want our respect. Rob wants his respect. Coach Vogel wants his respect. Our organization wants their respect. Laker Nation wants their respect. And I want my damn respect, too. What is going on, people? Welcome to the season finale. It's about time. Uh, the Lakers have got it done. As, uh, as we all know, as we all saw last night, as we record this podcast, um, like I said, coming into the series, I didn't want to write off the heat. I know early, um, a lot of people really said, okay, this is going to be a sweep, but kudos to the, that squad, that organization, uh, from top to bottom, uh, they made their adjustments. They made it a series and shout out to Jimmy Butler, especially that guy, uh, not no. And I heard this on the Zach Lowe podcast. Um, but Hey, he's no longer, uh, two-way player you know that guy is a superstar that's how well he played uh he played like a top 10 player even a top five top three player at times during that series um so yeah we're going to talk about a lot obviously going to talk about the finals and obviously wrap things up for the bubble and maybe if we have enough time talk about uh things moving forward but what did you see uh just to start things off omar uh before i forget to introduce you you know i'm here with op in the building um, what did you see in this series? Obviously, early, as I said, it seemed like this thing was going to end early. What adjustments did you see in order for this thing to become a competitive series? Um, I think from the beginning, what you saw was them finally, from the beginning, we saw AD just kind of feast. And it looked like the, the finals MVP was going to be his to win um, pretty easily. Um, and then... You know, Miami made more of a concerted effort to start um, packing in the paint, and they were doing a lot more gang rebounding, um, and they made his life a little bit more difficult. Uh, he wasn't able to affect the way the game was played, and 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 um, they really switched up kind of their coverages. They decided to go smaller on him, uh, throw Iggy at him, uh, force him into some of those post-ups, those kind of those baseline double team stuff that the Raptors did to him that really threw AD out of his rhythm. Um, and then, you know, then he picked up the foul trouble. And But from defensively, I think Miami just decided that we're going to take out AD at all stops because we don't, we're not big enough. Um, mm -hmm. And they kind of sold out on it and, and hoped that LeBron wasn't going to be as special as, as he was and hoped that those guys weren't going to step up. Uh, unfortunately for them, you know, <laughs> they did. So, yeah. but that was it. I think Miami got back in the series from that aspect, from that point on where they decided to send those baseline double teams. And we've talked about this. Davis sometimes can't read the floor well. Um, doesn't really, we talked about this numerous times, doesn't really reverse pivot um, mm -hmm. as much as you would like to. And they kind of sat in his field of vision and made those reads more difficult for them. And, and then, and on the other end, they, you know, they, you know, they they attack the uh, the the drop coverage that the Lakers were doing by setting those picks even lower and and giving Butler kind of a freer reign to the rim and yeah. and, um, and neutralizing some of the 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 LA uh, length there and and taking advantage of having guys like Dwight out there. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think. Miami, or not Miami, the Lakers, you know, you and I talked about this off air. They kind of shot themselves in the foot with that uh, game five, gave Miami some uh, some life, especially because the way Jimmy was playing. And to me, I think you, know, you talked about this. Um, this is something that 
whether it's Bud or whether it's um, Giannis himself, uh, they can take note of in terms of what Giannis can do in his game. Because Jimmy isn't necessarily a good, um, an elite three-point shooter. Like, even look at the numbers. He shot 35% from three um, during during the playoffs. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And even in the finals, he only shot 31%. So that yeah, he knows his uh, strengths and strengths and weaknesses. He obviously, he's surrounded by elite shooting. Um, I thought Spo did a great job of setting a lot of pin downs for Duncan Robinson, and and Duncan did a great job. And we we've talked about how physical the Lakers are, but I thought in stretches there, and you even said this, um, yeah, we're just too physical in a way that you know you got to play within the rules and uh, closing out to a guy's hip rather than trailing him on his uh, opposite. Uh, hip. That's something that, you know, we discussed, especially because with the shooting rules, if, if you get to a guy's left hip and you're not really flying by him and which may give up an offensive rebound and put you at a disadvantage, um, you know, it's tough. And I thought that uh, a guy like Duncan Robinson was real key for them. Uh, Bam obviously came back, did his thing here and there, but I thought, um, you know, obviously the stats in game six looked better than they really were i thought that was empty calories yeah exactly yeah a lot of empty calories and i think that's the next dimension that next um part of his game he needs to work on because as much as we like to talk about the versatility that they have with him as a playmaker and obviously with i think goron not being there as 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 devastating as it was it opened things up for jimmy and allowed for him to be full throttle not be too passive which he has been at times uh, maybe that's just within the offense and the scheme of things. But I think uh, Bam being a better finisher at uh, at the rim, uh, I think that's something that you and I have discussed. And for a guy that athletic, I thought the Lakers did a good job of making things uh, real uh, crowded for him, especially because uh, a guy that big, he's about 6'10". You look at him and say, okay, he's a great athlete. But to me, I just don't think that he um, – he really displayed enough finishing for me to say, okay, we, we need to adjust if we're the Lakers, you know, we need to adjust. We need to maybe send another guy, uh, play a Dwight. And I think him not being himself allowed for, and this is, we talked about this off air in the Portland series. I, I said it, I was like, this Lakers team to me just had the versatility. If AD was willing to play the five and we talk about the drop coverage a lot. And even looking at, um, what, what a lot of their lineups when 80 goes to the five man and i watched a video on this you know just before we record this recorded this or uh, we're doing this right now but um thinking basketball on youtube he talked about how the value of the drop coverage on screens and you and i talked about this it goes down man because you you know we, we don't need to go into the analytics of things but especially with teams like miami who can go small um i think with ad you have that guy who can be level and that allows you to switch yeah, and and we saw that too. That like towards the end, of some of the 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 LA finally stopped with AD when they went smalls. The only switch you really saw, outside of when it was like a forced screen, like when um, Crowder sent that 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 screen on LeBron at the end of Game uh, Five uh, to kind of get Jimmy that free throw. Um, for the most part, LA was pretty much deciding the only time we're gonna switch. Is if it, in game six, if whatever, I mean, I'm recalling just watching the replay in the game in my head was, is when AD or LeBron were getting caught on an action, they would switch because I'll guard Bam, you guard Jimmy, we good either way. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, they stayed. And 
some of the things they did was they, you know, the kind of neutralized Bam was, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't the best, but we're, you know, we're going to get to it, obviously. LeBron, you know, I don't think a lot, enough of the broadcast did a great job. We, we talked about great AD was like, he's defensively, he just does so much AD, just he's mm. long. You know, some of those drives, you could tell Tyler Hero by the end, as Phil would say, you know, shook by the invisible bully, a lot of those shots, he's leaving short because he's, you know, he's seeing ghosts. Uh, shout out to Sam Darnold. Um, and, you know, um, in the case of Braun, I just, he neutralized a lot of what Bam was able to do. So a lot of those little fake handoffs, they only got the one. I, I was worried about that play. They ran that to death on Boston, ran it to death on uh, Milwaukee, where they would fake the handoff and Bam would get a nice dunk. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I don't remember seeing the play until game six when they were down 25. Yeah, exactly. They turned the corner. Yeah corner and they just kind of looked at each other like oh we up 20 anyway um mm-hmm. so um i thought lebron underrated was he was actually underrated on defense i think this whole season and series because i think he took away a lot of what bam did and in game six they switched it up and you saw a lot more Braun on butler early and yeah. uh, that took a, a no more drop in coverage it was just like we're gonna play him level we're gonna man up and he's not bigger and stronger than Braun is as long as Braun didn't, outside of that one play where, you know, Braun t- opened up his stance a little bit too much and we talked about it in our chat. Mm-hmm. Um, where Butler, Butler's amazing at, like, if you give him an angle, he will hit you with his body and he will somehow still finish or he'll get the foul or he'll do both. Yeah. And, they, you, know, and you know, just the, the defensive, the, you know, one thing will, you know, I'm not a huge Vogel guy still, at all, you know, even after tonight, um, I'm going to give him a lot more credit. Uh, but the one thing they, the Lakers always did from the beginning till now, from, you know, tip to finish, shout out to Capella, is that they play great defense, you know, from mm. the beginning to end. You know? <laughs> uh, exactly. And I think, um, you know, a play of, the play of KCP was big. And we talked about, I mean, everybody's talked about this. It's like, who's the Lakers' third best player? And you and Phil, you know, we discussed this when we were breaking down the postseason. And we said it. You know, this is a team that kind of embodies what that three-peat Lakers team did in the 2000s. And you look at KCP stats, you know, you look at the the field goal percentage, it's not that great in terms of, it's not great at all, to be honest, the 38 from the floor, 30 from three. But to me, I think having the, 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 the versatility for him to be a playmaker off the dribble in terms of him getting to the basket, I think that's where, obviously, Danny Green's that's never been his game, but... And I think he got a lot of, you know, shout, you know, shout out to him for handling that uh, pretty well. I thought, you know, LeBron obviously made the right play in game five. He misses a shot. You know, he had a good game five. Uh, obviously, LeBron had a great game five, but Danny Green was great in that game in particular. Yeah. But he took a lot. Um, he was a scapegoat for a lot of their problems. He, I thought he was pretty good in that game. Yeah, like that, that to me was just a bunch of nonsense, but... You know, I, I think he handled it pretty well. Uh, obviously, things shouldn't come to that if 2020 has taught us anything, at least people who have any type of uh, intellect. But, um, yeah, exactly. But, um, and I just wanted to touch base. I know before we uh, move on, the two things that really stood out to me, man, AD on offense, I know we've been talking about defense a lot, but AD on offense, man, he shot uh, 55% from um, 10 to 16 feet. I got this track from basketball reference and then he shot 38 from three and um, yeah, from 16 to three, sorry, he shot 
uh, 55%, excuse me. So that kind of shows you um, how great he was. And, and obviously LeBron took it up another level. Um, he shot 79%, uh, sorry, um, 73% at the rim, uh, excuse me. So like, and if you look at Giannis and Giannis was obviously the leader at the rim this year. That's, that's some Miami 23, 13 LeBron stuff. Uh, you know, if we've seen it, and I think in, in this series, it felt like he shot like 80%, but what, what about those two guys being able to tap into the, that type of stratosphere of basketball? Did you see that made them go berserk? Well, in the case of AD, just as the bubble progressed, like, I think, that's just, I think people were underrating AD's offensive impact and underrating LeBron's defensive impact um, yeah. from the beginning. Sorry, my computer is so cool. Um, but um, in the case of AD, he just, as the bubble progressed, this guy just all of a sudden became like a dead-eye knockdown shooter. Like, it was just like, he just started getting that face-up action. And you're just like, oh, good night. Like, by the time the Denver series, it started in the Houston series. Uh, Portland was the greatest eight seed of all time. Remember that? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, the uh, narratives don't get us started replay, on that. Replay the conversation, me and Phil, the argument me and Phil got. And, anyway, <laughs> AD, you know, from the Houston series on, it just became this just nightmare, especially from the mid-range. We're just like, you know, it's automatic. It's just like if he's taking them and you're not sending the double, there's really like him and KD have probably the most unblockable shots because those guys are just so huge. Mm. And like, it just – it became – it became hilarious after a while because just like if he's gonna face up and hit jumpers, then he's then it's like it's when he decides to get to the rim. It's when he decides to post up. You're at his mercy, um, playing like a puppet. Um, in the case of you know, case of you know LeBron, it just I mean you know Kate. I'm gonna pivot quickly. KCP and I go back to LeBron. KCP from the beginning of the year from last year was getting killed. Yeah, but that guy. The way that guy evolved as a playmaker um, off the bounce as opposed to, you know, if there's a weakness in Danny Green's game, it's like if you chase him off the line, it's an adventure. With KCP, it was like by the end when he stopped second-guessing himself and he's just like, I'm going to attack this basket. And teams had to start playing him as a catch-and-dribble guy, just not a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, and a defensive guy, you know, you know, the story is him telling Duncan Robinson – uh, during game six, the ref had to tell him, down. I was like, you're not nothing. You're getting nothing tonight. Like, <laughs> he told him that. And, you know, it, it was just to watch that guy evolve into, like, oh, he's a clutch signing. Like, he's, you know, team mm -hmm. clutch to – no, this guy's one of the better fits for LeBron because he's a 3 and D guy who's long and athletic. Yeah. Um, who, you know – that's a guy you want next to an aging LeBron. And, you know, to pivot back to LeBron, like, you know, we're homers obviously for LeBron, but like we're looking at him at the rim. You know, I'm going to pull up right now. He was 64% at the, from the two point range. Um, mm. The guy who's second is LeBron James at 62.5. Um, the guys on that list are Barkley, Worthy, uh, LeBron again, Akeem <laughs> Jack. You know, and yeah. he shot better than all those guys. Uh, and years 17, 18, 35, 36 years old, um, you know, all the cliches that we talked about with this guy, just his ability to control the game, when his, especially when his jumper is falling, he's still the best player in the world. It doesn't make sense. 
and like <laughs> he gets to the rim and you could tell he was freight training LeBron in that in the start of that game. He's just like, I'm just gonna tear the rim off. Get out of my way. I'm going through you. I'm going over you. I'm going around you. And yeah, mm-hmm. added this jelly package since he started since he teamed up with Cleveland. You could see it. He started to evolve and starting to make these shots under the rim now that he wasn't even having to make because he was dunking everything early in his career. It just it just goes to show you like the evolution of this guy is it's, it, mm-hmm. it makes no sense. And you know, anybody follow me on IG like. There's more memes coming. I ain't done. <laughs> I ain't done yet. I'm sorry. I'm going to let you go, but I ain't done yet. I just wanted the world to know I ain't done yet. Yeah, right, exactly. On. Yeah, I don't blame you, man. Obviously, we can go on about the narratives. I actually was wrong on that. He actually shot 79% in the postseason and 73 at the rim. And a lot of people tend, uh, tend to, to say, okay, LeBron is slowing down to your point. You know, even watching a guy like B-Ball Breakdown seem to pick against um, – LeBron in every series and kind of nitpick certain things in his game. And a lot of people were saying, hey, is LeBron going to add that post up to his game um, or even keep it? Because he seems like he's pick and roll dominant. But then he shot a career high 68% from 10 to 16 feet. So that goes to show you how automatic that turnaround jumper was. And he didn't even shoot it at a high rate, which is even scary to think of uh, going forward. But yeah, before we kind of ramble on, just uh wanted to move on to the bubble itself. What did, how did you feel about obviously the quality of basketball and then obviously what the main focus was in terms of the non-basketball and the most important issues that have been issues for years, but obviously 2020 has seemed to magnify like everything uh, with the pre-existing conditions as we called them, called it uh, with social injustice, the pandemic and just various issues. Uh, how did you feel about how the NBA uh, captured that? Well, from the, from the basketball itself, um, I actually think, you know, um, this championship, you know, if you want to put an asterisk on it, go ahead, put it on, put it on as like the hardest championship to ever win probably because teams that didn't have home court didn't have it anymore. The Lakers would have had all those games in the stable centers. They did it. Um, so, you know, um, if we're going through the basketball itself, um, you know, there was guys like Jamal Murray improved his stock. Guys like um, uh, Grant, we talked about. Hopefully, hopefully he becomes a clutch client. If you know what I'm saying, um, <laughs> you know, guys like that improve their stock. Gary Trent Jr. Um, guys that raised their stock as NBA players. Guys who took a hit. Paul George literally hit the side of the backboard. Um, that whole Clipper fiasco. The Bucks getting literally a Middleton quarter away from really being swept. Mm. Uh, you know the heat speaking of teams that you know built on you know heat culture now everyone knows they're real and knows what it's about and they might be able to get a Giannis or another big time free agent just because of what they did um yeah I think the NBA the WNBA and the NHL um you know we don't talk hockey a lot but um I think they did a great job I mean there was how many months and there wasn't a single positive test for anybody just goes to show you if you, you know, if you treat this virus seriously, if you do the necessary protocols, you invest properly. Um, I think the leagues did a great job that way. The protests themselves and everything, you know, it's a continuing thing. I think, you know, we talked about Kyrie being right. Um, and initially I thought he was right, but then I thought about it even more. It's like, no, because we talked about these issues because we're in the bubble. If yeah. they don't go to the bubble, we're not talking about these issues. 
um, mm-hmm. in the same way we are. And I think it literally gave them a physical platform to spread awareness. Now, I'd like to see the players kind of push these owners because some of these owners are, are really donating to campaigns that are anti-Black Lives Matter. A, a lot of these issues, if you do some research um, with some of these families, the DeVos family who owns Orlando Magic, you know, I think that's the next wave. You know, I'm yeah. putting on my, my daishiki right now, my kufi hat right now, but like, and all the jokes aside, like I think that's the next step kind of holding these owners accountable because they got to skate a little bit. Um, and I hope that's not what's going to happen moving forward. I hope their feet get held to the fire as well. Um, but I think, you know, the NBA itself um, is, a, is a corporation at the end of the day. So you only can expect so much from a mm. corporation. Um, but in terms of the bubble itself, the product, you know, can't really hats off to him outside of the referee, which mm. we can, you know, we can do a whole pot about how bad that was. Just the refereeing was just so up and down and yeah, like mm-hmm. we talk, they got to change this three point rule. They protect three point shoes, but they don't protect guys at the rim. But, but the bubble aside, I thought it was an amazing job done by the entire league. Um, we got to see just basketball in a situation and in a situation where you knew the ratings weren't going to be great for any league. Every league is down right now because, you know, this is not what we're used to seeing and how we're used to absorbing it. The crowd is so important to the product. Um, So, you know, and we'll see what kind of season we get. Do we get a, do we get a season in January with no crowd? Do we get a season in like March with some people? Like, we don't know where we're getting. That's why I, tr- I try to really, as a basketball fan, enjoy every second of it because we don't know what we're going to look like in the new year, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I definitely – I think you pretty much said <laughs> everything I was going to yeah, say, or at least sorry. touch base on uh, – no, no, it's all, all right. You know, that's why we uh, – that's why I have you on because I think, um, especially with that stuff, you seem to obviously read a lot in terms of that. And I think that's a good point in terms of the owners and – to, to your point, people think like, well, who cares? And I've had people tell me like, who cares about um, this stuff? Like, why are they protesting? Why, why, why was there a boycott when nobody's going to listen? Why, why are people marching when it's like, that's a, that's the whole point of this, you know, having a bubble, having a platform. And with that being said, not everybody should have a platform in terms of, you know, people, some, there's some knuckleheads on TV, obviously um, saying some uh, foul stuff in terms of, um, just being ignorant and, or whether it's they're getting financially paid to do so, whether they're just blatant idiots, regardless, they probably are. They they definitely are, but excuse me. But um, I think each bubble, you know, you talked about, especially the WNBA, they've been uh, the leaders in this. Um, That's something that hasn't been discussed. Um, Whether it's, um, whether it's a Breonna Taylor, whether it's um, various, uh, victims I can go on and on about the various victims but you know the WNBA has been obviously a league that has done a lot in terms of um social injustice but obviously they don't get the same coverage as the NBA but you know it's still a quality product and and the NHL seems to have become more they've had more pressure on them in terms of um you know on the outside looking in terms of what issues haven't been addressed they they still have a long oh yeah well the NHL um if anyone's looking for people that are doing anti-racist work in hockey, there's a Twitter account. I think it's called Black Girls Hockey. Um, they're based out of Canada, I think Toronto. Everyone should check them out. Uh, hockey's got a long way to go because, uh, you know, 
their fan base and we could talk baseball and all in football. Don't even get me started on football, how bad they've been. But yeah, um, yeah I, I totally agree with you. The bubble needed to happen because the, the strike, the you know, when the WNBA and the NBA stopped, we all listened because they made our lives inconvenient. And that's how social justice is. It's not supposed to be comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, if anything, you know, the NBA's, NBA players, I think, again, should have been commended. Um, you know, you got some people who didn't think they go far enough. I think that's a lot of people um, not realizing what it actually goes into giving up your entire life and everything you've worked for. I think yeah. people need to show a little bit more grace to the players in that situation. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, sometimes you got to let people know that, you know, we're not here to entertain us. And, and if you can't, if you can't, um, the quote I'm kind of paraphrasing is basically if you don't care for what black people do and what we are, then you shouldn't have us, you shouldn't watch us play games and we shouldn't entertain you. Mm-hmm. And I think, that was the point behind the strike, I think, from the beginning. But again, this is why I say Kyrie was wrong. This doesn't happen if we don't go in the bubble. If there's no season, it never gets started. It's guys on Twitter accounts and IG uh, with incense. And I like Kyrie as a player and as a person. You know, like, mm-hmm. I take it with a grain of salt. I really think he's a guy trying to learn the world and everything. But I think it really comes down to you have to understand that you can't half tiptoe this world and you can't philosophize and you can't come up with big words and all this kind of stuff and try to build yourself up as a pseudo intellectual. This stuff is complicated and it's messy. And there's people on the ground who are doing work every single day and their lives are literally on the life for black lives every single day. And those are the people we should be amplifying and pushing. Um, We shouldn't be looking to celebrities to bail us out. And I, and I, but I think, the NBA stepped in where they should have, which is being advocates, the players specifically. And I'm going to commend every one of them. The WNBA, shout out to the Storm. Um, you know, Brianna, Brianna Stewart, man, like that team is ridiculous. Like so that, they, yeah. they just blasted through everybody. But that whole league is just amazing. And, um, and just moving forward, I hope, I hope the players, I hope society realizes that uh, we're complex and we're complicated and we matter and we matter in all the ways that we, that all of us should matter. And, um, so, you know, that's, you know, it's a long way of saying, uh, shout out to the players. Oh yeah, for sure. I think you nailed, uh, the hammer on the head and hit the hammer on the head and with all those points and definitely a long way to go. And I think to your point, like you don't, a race, and I've, I'm sure I've probably said this before on our pod when we talked about the boycott. You know, you know, you're not going to race generations and generations of of nonsense in in what six months. You know, it's going to take time. Um, people are going to have to lay the groundwork, and which, yeah, there's been steps, but to your point, we can't look at athletes and and say, well, you guys got to do it, or you guys haven't done enough, whatever. You know, but there's an election obviously going on south of the border. You know, if we have any uh, American voters uh, or listeners, excuse me, I hope you're voting and I hope you uh, take the time to do that. But um, just to wrap things up. Um, Can I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead, man. Up. Um, everybody who's been down LeBron, I'm just saying. I was trying to end on a positive note. I said I'm going to try to be a better person. 
but Darren knows the kind of week I've had. I am <laughs> not being, no, no. You guys told me it wasn't going to work. I had people telling me that it wasn't going to work with AD. I had people telling me the Clippers are better, and I bit my tongue, and I'm not biting it anymore. Four MVPs, four finals MVPs, three different franchises. I'm not saying he is the GOAT, but I'm saying the conversation is a little – getting a little close is all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, no, I definitely <laughs> – you definitely uh, took – took the words out of my mouth in terms of a lot of the hate that people were definitely giving towards this team. It, it seemed like they were the most disrespected uh, one seed in at least, at least recent men- memory in terms of um, the amount of talent, obviously with AD and LeBron, people just seemed to write them off. You know, LeBron had a great series to say the least uh, shooting split of 59 and 42. If you want to round it up to three, 67 from the line, um, you know, definitely been up and down from uh, seems, but hey, that's just one area that he's definitely had to work on. And um, going 30 uh, per game scoring wise, uh, 12 rebounds, eight and a half assists. So if if that's not enough for you guys, um, I don't know what is. I know people want to talk about the uh, Dallas series in terms of um, whether that hurts his GOAT legacy and this and that, but you can even argue, and Brian Winhorst said it uh, as well. You know, he, he kind of made up for that with that, uh, you know, that 3-1 comeback. You know, that was one he shouldn't have won. As, as much people want to hate and say, you know, that wasn't a super team. Last time I checked, you know, that was a 73-9 and team. They didn't – yeah, they were down 3-1 against OKC, but we've seen um, Clay, Clay Thompson and, and, and Stephen Curry seem to rip up the record books in terms of three-point shooting. They've taken the game to another level. So let's not – and I, this is the problem I have, you know, with the GOAT debate as, as well. I think we seem to discredit this era. It seems like no matter what we do, it's like, okay, LeBron's in the softest era, but when, let's say another guy comes up, then it's, okay, um, how are you going to tell me LeBron's better than KD, for example? You know, let's appreciate the greats. And whether you have LeBron or, or AD – not AD. <laughs> if you have LeBron or MJ as your GOAT, um, that's up to you. But I definitely thought it was a – you know, a great season uh, as much as it, it did, you know, overlap for a whole year, a uh, calendar year. I thought this was a great year. Miami had a lot to offer in the finals. They made their adjustments, as we said. And, uh, you know, kudos to them. You know, hat, hats off to them. Shout out to Coach uh, Spolstra, who's caught a lot of hate in terms of people saying he hasn't done much outside of the big three era. But um, it's definitely safe to say he's a top three coach in the league. Uh, the way he's made adjustments, the way he's been able to adapt. Um, it's been great. Uh, Omar, you want to add anything before I wrap things up? Yeah, just quickly for Spo and for Vogel. Uh, for Spo, just um, just the guy, the way the guy was able to push buttons um, all season um, with that team, you know, just the way, you know, the way that he just literally, you could tell game five is all they had left. And that's kind of how they, they because game six, you could just tell, like, they literally left it all on the floor in game five. They had nothing physically left to give. Um, you know, they went out like champions, um, even though they weren't just cause they didn't, didn't really quit. They didn't lie down like Houston did and, and, and Portland and Denver towards the end where they just kind of like, all right, one, two, three, Cancun <laughs> weren't up. And I, you know, I just sent you the message. They weren't up 85, 82 to 65 with a minute, 24 seconds left and we're up three, one on a team and then lose that game and then lose the next two. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. <laughs> um, but, um, 
but you know, shout out to Vogel just because of the fact that putting Caruso in that starting lineup, I thought they were going to go with Rondo actually. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played he played his butt off, man. Especially that yeah. Rondo, Rondo was, you know, playoff Rondo. Shout out to him. He just was amazing in game five. He was I thought he was a little bit better than his points total was in the other the not game five, but game four. But mm-hmm. um Vogel, I, I you know, I still don't like the fact that he waits for adversity to make the move. It's like just make the move before. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, shout out to those two coaches. The you know, the guy came a long way from those you know, his his third best player blowing in LeBron's ear to coaching LeBron to a championship. So, um, you know, this has been a fun, fun podcast ride. I, you know, I can't wait till we start doing breakdowns again. Um, I want to thank you, Dan, for letting me talk my talk. Um, <laughs> no problem, uh, man. Me my damn respect and uh, letting me be on your show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know it's been a long week, you know, we're on to a new one. You know, wishing you uh and before I forget, you know, happy uh indig- indigenous day uh as well. Um hope you guys are enjoying this long weekend. You know, we talked about the Lakers and Heat series, as I said, and obviously we gotta remember what continues to matter, and that's black lives, that's just being a better person. I think uh, the bubbles did a great job of displaying that, particularly as we talked about the WNBA and the NBA. And I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Hope you guys are looking forward to free agency because, man, I do not know what is going to go on, especially with the financial repercussions in terms of uh, the impact that's happened. And shout out to the LA Lakers for getting it done. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Take care, people. Peace. That's all, folks.